Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. While you're opening to Matthew chapter 22, last week we finished in chapter 21, uh, which has Jesus entering Jerusalem and he's now being confronted by uh, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people. And so this is the political powers within Israel are confronting Jesus. And as I mentioned last week, these three bodies of leadership are, uh, had different political factions within them, uh, religious sects and political sects within them. Uh, the chief priests were of uh, the Sadducees. The Sadducees uh, were the aristocrats of Israel. They controlled the priesthood. They controlled the temple in Jerusalem and were a majority of the elders of Israel, which we'll talk about in a second. But speaking of the elders of Israel, or the people, uh, elders of the people, again, they were also uh, confronting Jesus in Jerusalem. And what the elders of the people were was a group of 70 men called the Sanhedrin. You guys know the Sanhedrin as well. You've heard that as well. So that's when they're talking about the elders, they're talking about the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was had a super majority of Sadducees, a minority of Pharisees, and then all these other groups that were shoved in there as well, like the Herodians. And they were really the deciding body of Israel. They're the governing body of Israel. And as, and um, lastly, in addition to the chief priests and the elders, there were the scribes, although Matthew doesn't mention it here. Jesus mentioned it, mentions it prior and also in the book of Luke and the scribes were the lawyers of the day. Now, now obviously Rome controlled Israel, but I mean, who wants to redo the whole government? So what they did is they just controlled the existing government and they let them do their thing. And when they, it bugged them, they crushed them. That's what the Romans did. And so they kind of let them do their thing as long as it didn't bug Rome. And then, um, and so the Jews kind of went about their daily laws, but they were submitted in essence to the Romans, which Obviously they, they really didn't like that. So the scribes, they were interpreting the law of Moses for the daily people. They were the one lawyers in the courts and all that type of stuff. And so those three groups uh, were represented there. They're confronting Jesus publicly at this huge feast where everybody's gathered together. Jesus is teaching. They're confronting him on his authority. What authority do you have to do this? And who gave you that authority? Pretty strong words. You got the, you know, the president and the cabinet and everybody's coming out. The judiciary is coming out and, tell, and, and asking you what, who, 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 you know, what are you doing here? We're the ones in charge. That's, that's the, that's the thrust here. Now, if you remember, Jesus had already told the disciples three times in the book of Matthew, he'd already predicted it three times. And it's also in the other gospels as well, that this is exactly what would happen. He told them three times that when he went to Jerusalem, that final time that he would be delivered into the hands of men and suffering many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and who would condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he'd rise again. I'm condensing Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 17, 22, Matthew 20, 18 through 19. This is what he said would happen according to the old Testament. The old Testament said this would happen. These are prophecies. So Jesus wasn't sitting there going, making stuff up. He wrote it, but he was back there. He's saying, look at this is, this is what's going to happen. This is what is going to come about in just 
a short time. And so the scriptures are showing us that this is actually what's happening. This is the time this is happening. And at the end of the week, Jesus would be crucified. That's what's going on. So Jesus is now being confronted by the leaders of Israel and Jerusalem as he knew what happened. And they're, they're uh, asking him, Hey, why, what authority are you doing all these things? And so Jesus begins to speak to them in parables. And this is where we left off in Matthew 21. He gave them two parables. There's actually three. We're going to get into the third today, but the first two parables, the parable of the sun and the parable of the vineyard. Those are the first two. And in the parable of the two sons, uh, it revealed that they were in fact, the son who was disobedient to God, that the, the leaders of Israel and generally the nation of Israel were the ones who di- were disobedient to God. Remember there were two sons, one who said they wouldn't go into the field, but later did. And then one who said they would, but didn't. And Jesus is saying, you guys are the one who said you would, you would go into the field. You said you'd obey God, but you didn't. While the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the soldiers, all the people who you think wouldn't obey God, they were actually the ones when they heard John preaching the message of repentance, they turned around and they came to God. They repented. They were the ones who did the will of God. And Jesus says, they entered the kingdom of God before you. You're in trouble. Leaders of Israel, that's parable one. Parable two, the parable of the vineyard. Jesus points out that they were the wicked tenants of the vineyard. The owner had set up the vineyard. He put tenants there to watch over and take care of it. And what had happened is when God called his servants, the prophets, to go to get the fruit which he desired. Well, there's a lot more things that the prophets were doing, but this is the picture that Jesus is laying there. Instead of welcoming these servants, instead of submitting to the authority that they had from God, they rejected the authority. They actually, they stoned one, they, they beat another and they killed another of the prophets. And so God sent more prophets to them and they did the same in a later generation. And this is the history of Israel up until the point where he would send his own son, the heir to the vineyard. Well, of course they would respect my son, Jesus says, right in this parable, but no, they said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and kill the ear so we can take it for ourselves. And therein reveals the reason why they were despising God's authority. They had wickedness in their hearts and they wanted it all from themselves. They wanted the rule. They wanted the power. They wanted the praise of the people. They wanted everything that God had actually entrusted them to point people to God too. Right. And so they wanted it for themselves and they were corrupt leaders. And so Jesus tells them in verse 43 of chapter 21, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Verse 44. And the one who uh, on the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And Jesus was calling these men out publicly. They were questioning his authority. And he says, listen, you have denied the authority of God that he, when he's come to you over and over and over, you have killed his messengers over and over and over. And you're about to kill me at the end of the week. I'm the son. And so Jesus was telling them that God is taking away the kingdom from them. They're no longer going to have the kingdom. Those people referring, and he's going to give it to a people uh, producing its fruits, fruits that actually uh, represent or uh, represent the kingdom of God. 
So who is that? Who is he talking to? You're going to take it away from whom? Take it away from Israel. You're taking it away from the leadership of Israel, the nation of Israel. And it's to be given to another. Who's that? Hey church, how you doing? To the church, Jews, Gentiles. These, this is who he was giving it to. And it's supposed to be people who would bear the fruits that God desired, not a facade of religion. What do we see in religion today? A facade. What do we see in the church today? So much a facade. What do we see in ourselves so much today? A facade. I am a Christian. I go to church, but I live like a non-Christian and I think like a non-Christian and I, and I, you know, my values are non-Christian, but he wanted to give it to a people who had the fruits of the kingdom, not a nation that claims to be his by ancestry. Oh, I'm an American. We're Christians. Yay. Therefore I'm saved. X, Y, Z. No, that's foolishness. Oh, I'm an Israelite. I'm related to Abraham. Good luck with that. Not a nation by ancestry like the Jews had there, but a truly spiritual people born into his kingdom through faith in his son, a people who love God with all their hearts, with all their minds, with all their souls, with all their strength, who have an internal love for God, who have an internal relationship with God, a good tree bearing good fruit. And it shows itself outwardly. Yes. too. a people redeemed by his blood and filled with his spirit born of the spirit from every tongue, every tribe, every nation from the deepest, darkest parts where people haven't been in Africa and someone comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our brother. That's our sister in jungles of the Philippines where I've met my brothers and sisters and have treated me with such honor and respect. It just blows me away. And the love, although we couldn't communicate, there was a connection in the, in the spirit, my brothers and my sisters, people have been changed by Jesus Christ. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, a people producing the fruits of the kingdom. What is the fruit? What are the fruits of the kingdom? If you could just sum it down into one tiny little thing, if, you know, little thing. If you could just put it down to one thing, what are the fruits of the kingdom? Being like Jesus, Christ likeness. You're like the king. See, a kingdom represents the king, his rule, his reign, his authority, the way he does stuff. And he wants a people that are under, not under his rule, but who live out his rule. And this is the fellowship we see in the New Testament where it's, where Jesus is trying to explain, listen, the father and I are one and I'm making you one with us. We're sharing the oneness. You're no longer a slave, but your sons, your daughters, you're born into this kingdom. You're my kids. Now you have a new nature within you. Live it out. Let me live in and through you. You have your life in me. I have my life through you. This is the church. This is what he desires. He doesn't desire for you to come and check the box. I went to church. He caused you to be the church and live the church. And yes, coming and gathering together once a week as Jesus prescribed for us, as we see in the new Testament, it's absolutely part of the deal. 
but it's also all the other days of the week. And it doesn't stop when you're not at home fellowship and not at church. It's actually in your home. It's actually at work. It's everywhere because you're a part of his kingdom. You are a Christian. Christian means little Christ. You're a little representative of him wherever you go, wherever you are. We left off in verse 45. It says when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Yep. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. You see, they didn't care about truth. They, they cared about power. And so this is important because the rest of the chapter of this chapter and into verse 20 uh, chapter 23, he's going to be talking about these guys. And so we've, we've got to go through with them, right? And so Lord's going to be exposing these various leaders. He's going to go to different groups and talk about them. And we're going to learn a lot about them. And we're also going to learn a lot about ourselves as we look at them. And so we begin now in verse in chapter 22, as Jesus continues to speak to the leaders who are there right in front of him, asking him by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus responds in verse 22 in chapter 22, verse one, he says, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a King who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast to come, but they would not come. Now keep in mind that the two parables before in chapter 21, these are all together. These are three back to back to back. Don't let the, the chapter division stop you there. Um, they're all talking about similar themes in the parable. Of the two sons, one of the sons obeyed the father. The other one did not. It, uh, the other one did not. Right. Um, and so there was uh, the other son said he would go, but he didn't. But the other one said he wouldn't, but actually did. You guys know what I'm talking about, but there was a rebellion to the authority in both of them. That's, that's the point. There was a rebellion to the authority of God, but what happened is eventually one submitted. They submitted to the authority of God. And that was the picture. Those were the ones who you'd think wouldn't be doing that. They actually did the tax collectors and the prostitutes and, you know, the LGBTQ community and everybody else you got out there in your list. We've got of, of, of who, who wouldn't definitely wouldn't respond to God. They're just, they're lost cause, you know, but the religious people, they got it all together. What Jesus is saying, well, the religious people actually had a more hard heart towards God when John spoke, then the people who were broken in sin and they actually responded to God, praise God. How many of us walked among that lifestyle? Amen. And so there was a rebellion to the authority of their father and both the sons, but the one who changed his mind, they obeyed the word of the Lord and they did the will of the father, not the one who gave lip service. Also the parable of the tenants. Of the vineyard, the, vin- the, the tenants would not receive the owner's vineyard uh, of the vineyard servants. When they came to get the fruit, they actually beat and stoned and they killed them. And eventually the son came and they killed him too. And so Jesus was telling them that they are the le- they are the latest um, among the line, a long line of wicked servants. You're the latest in a long line of wicked servants who disregard the authority of God. You disregard God's authority. And you're about to kill the son. And so now in chapter 22, Jesus, Jesus paints a third picture. A king gives a feast for his son. A king gives his, a feast for his son. He's invited certain people to that feast. And he sends his servants to let those people know it is time to come to the feast. This is going to be awesome. But Jesus says they would not come. 
They would not come. They would not respond to the King's invitation to honor his son. It's hard for us to understand how shocking this would have been for those listening because today, for some reason, and, and I know there's, there's, there's reasons behind this. It's, it's very kind of popular and in vogue to just kind of deny an invitation to the white house as a political protest. So everybody kind of, you know, depending on who, who your guy is in there, who your gal is eventually and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right. Everybody's just kind of like, ah, I didn't go to the white house. You know, you wouldn't even dream of doing that back then. Like King asked you to go. It's like, what are you kidding me? I'm going, to, Oh, you drop everything you do. You save the date and you put on your clothes and you go, anybody, does everybody understand that? And so forget your, our 2023 political view. The people listening to this would go, of course you drop everything you do and go, but these people would not come. That's a shocker. They would not respond to the King, the person in charge of all the land. And so in the parable, those invited wouldn't come after the certain for servants came and said, Hey, you got the invitation. It's time. Let's go. Well, what about verse four? He says again, what is it? What does the King do now? Well, he sent other servants saying, Hey, tell those who are invited. See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. What's going on now? He lets them know more information. And by the way, we see progressive revelation in the Bible as well. More is revealed about what this invitation is about. They killed the first group. They beat them. They stoned them. Well, what about the second group uh, that comes to them? What do they do? Do they respond to the invitation? Notice the idea is that this is a great honor that the King would invite you to come to his son's wedding. How many of you are like you handpick people to come to your, your, your kid's wedding, right? I mean, or you know what I'm saying? Right. We don't just, Hey, anybody want to come? No, it's, it's important people. You give people who are significant in your life and all these types of things. People who should come are invited. Does that make sense? It's a great honor, especially the King's son. I mean, how would you like to be personally invited to the wedding of a ruler of the land? That's, that's something. Think about it. If you, if, if someone from the white house calls you and says, Hey, so-and-so's getting married. We want you to come on this day. Everything's prepared. Here's the invitation. They'll fly you out. You're going to land. There's this, there's like white house chef. You got everything going on. Forget your politics. You're like, wow, what an honor. Yes. Everybody just lose your just, yeah, it's an honor. This is, this, this is the part of teaching the Bible is we kind of got it. We've got to lose our 2023 and find out what's going on back then. Cause that's what Jesus is saying. And then we pull it back into 2023. Uh, it would, who am I? Who am I to go to anything? How about you? Wow. Well, how did they respond when, when more revelation was given to them? Verse five, but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Yikes. 
here are the responses to the, uh, to the invitation of the King first indifference on the one hand indifference. One went to a farm, the other to a, to their business. This just speaks about going about their daily lives. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. I'm going to continue doing what I was doing. Indifference. They prioritize their own lives about over the honor of the King. That's what they did in Luke's version of this. And in Luke 14, 18 through 20, by the way, spoken at a different time, Jesus often said the same parables and he put a twist on them each time, like different times, but you can kind of get more, get insight into this. Even though in Luke's version, it's talking about a little, something a little bit different in Luke 14, 18 through 20. He gives this parable similarly And he says, there's a response to people at this wedding thing, uh, wedding request. And he says, the first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now the, the number 20 is probably more legit out of all those, but I mean, you know, you just got married kind of a thing, but All of them are like, yeah, forget about you and your priorities. I've got things I'm doing. Excuses, indifference. That's how they responded to the king and his son. But then there were others who responded in hostility. They weren't indifferent. They were actually hostile to the messengers. They were hostile to the king. And this is what had happened. The rest, what do they say? They seized the servants. They treated them shamefully and they killed them. That's pretty extreme. So the president sends a messenger to your house to invite you to come to the wedding feast. And you kill the messenger. You beat them up. You (laughs) stone them to death. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Well, who, who does that? Someone who doesn't recognize the authority of the King. If you were last week, if you were with us last week, you saw the parallel with the parallel with the parable of the tenants and the vineyard where the owner sent servants to the tenants to get the fruit, but they beat one, they stoned one, they killed the other. Right. And here you have the same picture painted. It's the same picture over and over and over that Jesus is painting that they would not respond to the servants who were calling them to the feast of the King. And when the King sent more servants and told them greater details, they responded hostily or with indifference. That's what was going on. And so what does the King do now? What does the King do now? If you are the King, what do you do? Well, verse seven, the King was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murders and burned their city. That's what the King did. You see, Jesus gives the same response from the parable of the vineyard. Those who rejected the invitation of judgment. He asked the religious leaders there. He said, what do you think should happen? And he said, those guys need to die. That's what the Pharisees were saying. And the Sadducees and the scribes, they're all saying that guy needs the, the guy who did that. He needs to die. Those servants need to die. And it needs to be given to other people to take care of the vineyard. Jesus is like, well, you got a point there. Yeah, you're the tenants. And he's doing the same thing again. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murders and burned their city. Now, 
Again, who's Jesus talking about here? The guys who were in front of him, the religious leaders of Israel, he was talking to them and the city he was talking about is the city that they were in Jerusalem. The men who liked the leaders before them, they rejected the invitation of the prophets. And now they're rejecting the invitation through son, through the son, some through indifference. You know, we'll see that with Pilate and some through hostility. And Jesus is telling them again, there is no way of escape for you guys. There is no way of escape because you keep rejecting God's call to them. And all that's left is judgment. That's it. In the next chapter, chapter 23, flip over in your Bibles, just look at it. Just scan down, scan down. You don't need to read it. Just scan. What do you see there? Lots of happy go lucky times. Whoa, 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 whoa. How many of our seven, seven woes, right? One more and two more, seven, seven woes, purposefully seven. Woe means Jesus was saying to them, man, absolute judgments coming to you guys. It is coming. And for these reasons, and he lays it out before the disciples and the crowds in the, in the public square. And he ends that check out verses 37 through 39 of chapter 23. He ends it by doing what? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. You would not come. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we'll get to the meaning of this when we get there. But the Lord's heart is just breaking over the condition of the hearts of the nation, of the people and the leaders who were leading them. Indifferent towards him and hostile towards him as a whole. There were exceptions. There were the few. There were the Nicodemuses. There were the... Joseph of Arimathea is in the leadership. There were a few. There were the crowds that followed him and cried out to him and knew and believed, but as a majority, they did not. And he wanted them to come to the feast. He wanted them to gather, to gather them into his house. He wanted them to come in and to enjoy life, but they would not come. And all that's left was judgment and physical judgment began there in Israel in 70 AD, just 30 years, 35 years later, 37 years, whatever it is later, Titus rolls into Jerusalem and encamps the city. And we'll talk about that when we get into our study of end times here in chapter 24 and 25 but he levels the city, not one stone left upon another and there's physical judgment. And then that rolls into even a bigger picture of what happens in the end 
times with Jerusalem again and everything that's going on in our world. And it's all going to wrap up. We'll get there. Don't worry. But they would be left desolate and Jesus saw it and he was crying over it. He was brokenhearted over their hard heartedness, their hostility and their indifference towards him. The point being that they rejected the invitation of the King. And now looking at this today, can you see the parallel? (laughs) Can you see the parallel? The times we're now living in and the times that will soon be upon the world. You know, if you have ears to hear, God is calling you. He is inviting you into his kingdom. It's the King of the universe. No greater honor. The invitation has been sent to each of us and the time to respond to the King is now the servants are out. They're calling, they're preaching. The church is operating. We're sharing the gospel. We are witnessing. We're calling the world to repentance and faith and to believe. Great expense has been paid to make your place at the table. All expenses paid. The table is set. The spirit of God is at work in the world, convicting us of our sin. The thing that separates us from God, our lives lived in opposition to him and hostility to him and indifference to him. God is lovingly and graciously calling anyone who will hear him to drop everything you are doing and come to him now. Drop the business, drop the priorities of your life, lose your life in this life and find it in him. And you will actually find that you have real life. And he's going to be convicting people of their sin. It's like, and the reason why God convicts us is because he desires to draw us near to him and to cleanse us from our sin, to take it away to make it so we're no longer bound by it, ruled by it, governed by it, but we're now governed by him and his spirit, which is antithetical to sin. And so he will begin with convicting us of our sin. If you're listening now, wake up graciously, wake up. If you're religious, wake up. If you've been in church and you've got your church card, wake up. He's going to convict us. He's going to come to you and say, come, but you have to abandon. You have to recognize. And that's a work that God does within us. Graciously. We realize, man, I, I, yeah, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you. And there's a conviction that happens in there and there's a breakingness and there's a poor poorness of spirit that happens. And you realize there's nothing I've got. There's no religious capacity within me to make me right with you. I've got nothing. And that's the exact opposite of what humanity wants to think of ourselves. We are the pick them up by our bootstraps. We've got it. And God says, you've got nothing. You've got nothing, but I have everything. Abandon your paradigm of sin and come to me. So he convicts so that he can forgive and cleanse us 
from our sin totally. And he does that by making us new. How does he make us new? Well, he sent his son, Jesus. The way he forgives and cleanses us is making us new by giving us new life through his son. He, Jesus died on a cross. He would die on a cross in a week here. Yes. At the hands of the Romans and all these things, but it was God's purpose and plan that this would happen that God would pour out on his son, the innocent, the spotless, the sinless, his wrath because sin gets wrath because God is not darkness living in opposition to God is darkness. And we're all guilty of it. Me number one. And he says, He died on a cross according to the will of father to pay the price for sin. Not part of it. Not okay. You paid part of it. Now I got to work the rest of it off totally and completely and absolutely totally cleansed of your sin. All of it gone before God. That's how thorough and how complete the death of Jesus Christ is on the cross for all of us. So what do you do when you know that the weight of your sin before God is there and that Jesus Christ died for your sin? What do you do? What's the connection? What do you have to do? Believe it. (laughs) That's how we're saved. You believe in what he did, not in what you do. I believe that you died for my sin. Thank you. And what happens is God graciously in, in the spirit, he comes and he cleanses you of all that. He makes you new. You're born into his kingdom. This is why in John three, he says, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't get it because he's all, all I know is we are born naturally. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to be born of the spirit. There's something that has to happen to you and in you to make you a part of my kingdom. You're a religious leader. You should know this. He says to him, but he didn't. So too, we must be born again. How does that happen through faith in Christ? Well, how does that come about? God comes to us and he invites us and he invites us and he paid the way he prepped the table. He made everything. He took his spotless, innocent son and slaughtered him that we, the guilty rebellious son and daughter would go free. And then he takes his righteousness, his right standing before God. And he gives it to us. That's amazing. Not only does he wipe your slate clean, he gives you, he adopts you into his kingdom. He gives you his righteousness. You're right before God. You're clean because of Jesus. It's amazing. And we marvel at that as Christians. And this is what it is to be a Christian, not to go to church. We are the church. Those of you who have believed and not just drinking the Kool-Aid. There's something that's happened. He's changed you from the inside out. And so when we do sin, and by the way, we are still in process. That's not an excuse. It's truth. Man, there's a conviction of the father because that no longer computes. 
That's the old way. And so the Lord comes in and he speaks to us, says, no, 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 son, no daughter. That's not the way. Come on. And we call it out. We say, yep, you're right. Let's go back. And we abide in Christ and we live and we grow and we change. It's beautiful. This is what it means to receive the invitation. So what have you done with the son of God? What have you done with the son of God? Not everybody else. What have you done with the invitation? What have you done there out in digital land? What have you done? That's the most important question you will ever face. This is what Jesus is speaking about to these men. But those men, most, not all, most responded through indifference and hostility towards him. And so what does the king do? Verse eight. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast, invite to, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all from they found both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Listen, the ones who were supposed to come, they didn't. The religious leaders, the nation of Israel, they rejected the invitation for the most part. And so what does God do? He goes, go out to the main roads, go get everybody good and bad Jew and Gentile. <laughs> go, go grab us and come fill it in. Anybody will respond to the invitation. And that is what God is doing now. That is what he is doing through the church. That is the purpose of the church. We are called to not only receive the Lord and be changed into love and care for one another, that's a huge part of it. That's a sign that we're born again, but church, we have to now turn around and go share the message. Do you know what my role in the church is to do all that for you? So you don't have to worry about it. So your conscience is eased. Says I'm here to equip you for the work of the ministry. You are the new messengers. How do you think the world's going to treat you? With indifference and hostility. Expect it. Expect it, but realize who are they truly rejecting? If you are truly giving the message, it's him. So we just need to be faithful. And this is why the disciples rejoiced when they were persecuted because they were counted worthy of suffering for the kingdom. Not that they were being antagonistic or mean or bullying and all that kind of stuff as they were sharing the truth and the light shined in darkness and darkness didn't like it. And they responded. He said, wow, we're part of the light. Can't believe this. And they still prayed for their enemies. Jesus on the cross, the Lord forgive them for they know what they do. This is the heart we have as Christians. We share the message. Amen. It's such a great message. It's just, it is the life. And so he sent them out. The apostles went. And then here we are today to the uttermost parts of the earth, to, the, to a place called Walla Walla. It's a weird name. And, and depending on where you're from, you say it differently. Walla Walla or Walla Walla, right? Which one is it? Everybody say Walla Walla. I uh, was at Walla Walla, right? It's the, I don't know. That's that. That's a big tell. You know, you're from here. If you put the uh, at the beginning, as opposed to me, when I came here, I was like, 
Walla Walla. And there's also a Walla Walla, I think, in Australia or I think somewhere. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll figure it out. But anyways, uttermost parts of the earth. And so that's what God did. And this is now our mission. Now, here's the thing. Verse 11. Let's close this out. So there's people who are invited and they respond to the message. But when the king came to look at the guests, verse 11, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Notice the kindness and yet truth within the person who's speaking. The king said, so called him friend. He was being cordial with him. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You see, it seems that all the wedding guests were given attire to wear by the king. They were given wedding attire to wear by the king. But the king spots someone who's not wearing the garment. That tells us something. Immediately, the king knows that someone is crashing the wedding. We have a wedding crasher here. And he asks, how did, how did you get in here without a garment? And he obviously knows the answer. But the, the implication is that the person snuck in another way. John 10, uh, Jesus says that he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. Jesus goes on in verse seven of John 10 to say, I am the door. That's the way you enter the kingdom through the door. The door is Jesus through faith in Jesus. And what happens is when you have faith in Jesus, God clothes you in Christ's righteousness and he knows his sheep and they respond to his voice. God knows who are his. The way you enter the kingdom is through Jesus Christ. And when you're washed, cleansed, washed through all of your sin, it's all gone. He clothes you in his righteousness, righteousness church. If you have believed in Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness. You might not see it now, but when you are going to be transformed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, and you will be as he is and that reality will just be stunning as we glow with his glory. That's what Jesus is speaking about here is that the king knows his kids. The shepherd knows his sheep. They are clothed in his righteousness. This man was not, he was an imposter. So what happens to the hypocrites and the imposters who pretend like they're in the kingdom, but they're not the king knows who they are and what happens to them. And he's talking about these guys, verse 13. Let's close it out here. And then the king said to the attendants, attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do you think that's talking about? That's hell. Notice. Bind him hand and foot. It's something they didn't want a place. They did not want to go. And yet they were taken there by force cast into outer darkness. It's just hell is described as darkness. It's also a place described where there is weeping, constant weeping, constant gnashing of teeth. Hell is real. And in verse 14, Jesus ends the parable by saying something so clear and non-controversial that we all understand for many are called, but few are chosen. So let's spend an hour digging into that one. What does it mean? I'm going to keep it brief. 
The immediate interpretation is that the Jewish leaders in the Jewish nation were called by God over and over to repent and believe upon the Messiah by the prophets. And now the son, they were invited into the kingdom of God, but most would not come. And so we see that those of them who did believe upon the, Uh, did not believe upon the son. Those who did not respond to the son, they were not chosen to be in the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, those of them who were called by God, who believed upon Jesus, they were those who had been chosen by God. This church has been split over this issue before. Listen, I don't think we can get around the fact that God is in control. He is absolutely sovereign. It is his kingdom and he has done it. He, uh, what, and he has done in what he will do and wants to do. Whatever he does is righteous. We need to know that we need to rest in that, that whatever he does is right. It's righteous. And whoever he chooses to be in his kingdom He is right in doing so. And whoever he does not choose, he is right in doing so. And his judgment and his righteousness uh, and his judgments are righteous. So that's the hard part to swallow. Trust in God that he's right in what he does now. But I tell you what, in all of that theological discussion, and I did not even do it justice. You know, I didn't. So Don't walk away with whatever you're walking away with. (laughs) But in all of that, there's one thing that matters with you right now. Choose him. That's the one thing that matters. Choose him. Receive his invitation because it's gone out for everybody. Receive him. And when you receive him, you find out that you were chosen before the foundations of the earth. One way to look at it is God chooses those who choose him. Others say the other way around. It's kind of above my pay grade. I'm supposed to know this, but what I look at is God gives us a choice. Choose him right now. Receive the invitation. Believe upon Jesus. And you'll find out. You've been chosen. That's awesome. It's fitting we come to a time of communion. We're going to finish with communion real quickly. The table has been set. (laughs) The lamb has been slain. Your admission has been paid for thoroughly. His body represented in the cracker was broken for you. And his blood represented by the cup, the juice there was poured out for the remission of our sin. The remission meaning the total absolute 100% taking away of all of our sin. The way has been made and you get to come and enjoy fellowship with the Lord. This is a symbol that he gave us of a spiritual reality that he died and rose again, not so that we come and do this superficial 
juice and cracker thing and think we're right with God because of a juice and cracker, but because he's done it within us, his blood has washed us from our sin. His body was broken that we might be healed from all of that. He's brought us into right relationship and we get to fellowship with him. Now, this is a believer's table. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to attend. If you have yet to believe in Jesus Christ, call out to him. Now call out to him and say, I believe that you died and rose again. Forgive me of my sin. Invite me into your kingdom. I'm nothing. You are everything. And he will clothe you and make you his son and come and enjoy. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your kindness towards us, your long suffering and your grace. Thank you for still calling out to us with such love and such intensity. Can't wait to be in your kingdom, Lord, on the final phase. It's going to be awesome. But until then, we just pray for many, many, many people to come to know you. We pray that this church would have a heart set, not just on loving one another, but going out and being witnesses of your grace. Pray it would go beyond here. In your name, amen.